Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to Development Hell. Available now from Dread, the Queen of Spades. According to legend, an ominous entity known as the Queen of Spades can be summoned by performing an ancient ritual. Four teenagers summon the Queen of Spades, but they could never imagine the horrors that await them. The Queen of Spades is available on demand everywhere and on Blu-ray, July 3rd, 2021. For every horror movie that hits VOD, countless others end up DOA. Development Hell is the podcast dedicated to unearthing these cursed horror productions. We're going to find out what went wrong and then decide if these titles still stand a shot at the green light. I am your host, Josh Corngut. I am a filmmaker in Toronto, Canada. This podcast is a proud member of the Dread Podcast Network. And we are covering today the third film in the Collector series, The Collected. Uh, with us again, we have Jinx. Welcome back, Jinx. We're so excited that you're here again. Yeah, will you reintroduce yourself to the Development Hell audience? Yes, absolutely. My name is uh, Jason Jenkins. Everyone pretty much calls me Jinx. I am a writer for Bloody Disgusting. I have a few columns over there, and I'm a podcaster. Uh, I have a podcast called Scream Addicts that is currently about three quarters of the way through on this special project called Hammer Pub. Uh, get in there. We're in, yeah, yeah, we're, we're nearing the end. We're, uh, the, the light at the end of the tunnel is in sight. Uh, myself and co-host Paul Farrell, we, uh, we have been going through the entire Hammer Horror catalog and uh, drinking our way through every film and providing commentaries along the way. I love it. Where are you now? Uh, we are about to record uh, Countess Dracula tomorrow evening, actually. So uh, oh. that'll be going up later this week. And so we're nearing kind of the end of the uh, the classic run. We're, we're starting to make our way through the 70s. And once that happens, uh, there's a gap of about, oh gosh, I want to say about 30 years before Hammer came back with, uh, you know, movies like The Resident and Woman in Black with Daniel the Radcliffe. The Resident, right. I always call it The Tenant, which is, as you know, a very different a different project altogether. It is, but, you know, interchangeable <laughs> titles. Yeah, Could have been called yeah. The Tenant. 
Um, yes. Did you say the woman in black? Because we, we touch on base on this every time and I always forget. Is that, is that Was that the resurgence moment? Yes. Yeah, they did. I want to say Hammer did like a web series to kind of dip their toe into the water when they rebooted, <laughs> oh, uh, which is weird cute. because uh, I think they wanted, it never got a release here in the States, but uh, I had to buy a, a DVD copy from the UK. I still don't own a region-free player. I'm going to have to take care of that before we have to wind up doing a commentary for it. But uh, it's funny. I guess it's noteworthy now for being one of the early projects that Jamie Dornan did. Oh, um, oh, interesting. So there was that, and then they did The Resident, which was, uh, I think, kind of their first full-fledged production as a rebooted company. And it was kind of nice because even though there's nothing about it that's really hammer horror per se, they did have Christopher Lee in it. So there's that nice tie. I saw that. And um, I can do this. Hilary Swank? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Oh, my God. Of the Reaping fame. Which I still I haven't seen. That is the one Dark Castle movie I've yet to <laughs> we, see. I knew we were going to get to Dark Castle. How couldn't we? <laughs> Dark Castle cast. We have to do it one of these days. Promise. Promise me. I, I wish we would. Somebody. I think to. we have to. I say this every time. Um, I was looking at, because we're going to be talking about the Collector series, and I almost had an item on our outline about horror from 2009, and of course that covers Orphan, if I'm not mistaken, and I feel like we always come back around to good old Orphan. Yes, Orphan is uh, Orphan is fantastic. I revisited it, <laughs> I want to say a couple of months ago, and damn it, that movie holds up. I Hell yeah. I'm kind of excited, but I'm also a little oh. wary of yeah. the upcoming uh, prequel. One, because, you know, the entire story is told yeah. in it's, the first movie. We, we kind of know where it's going. Um, then there is <laughs> the... Uh, you know, Isabel Furman is, I, I love that they brought her back and they simply didn't recast. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, are they going to be able to pull that off? No, 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 they're not. I love that she's working though. She also was a successful meme recently. I'm, have you, I'm sure you've seen, there's like a picture of her holding um, Orphan and like the bargain discount bin looking all surprised. Have you seen this? No, I haven't, but I need to seek <laughs> that out. There's a picture of her floating around there. Yeah, if I was in charge, which one of these days I will be, you'd have to get a whole new Orphan. Start again. Same title. Yeah, yeah. Do the, uh, do like the mid-aughts thing where, uh, <laughs> you know, you call it by the title of the original movie, but just tell a brand new story that's just close enough to the original that, you know, it kind of counts, but it doesn't uh-huh. have to involve anybody from the original yeah, movie. Urban yeah. Legend Final Cut. Just call it Orphan 2, but like comma T-O-O. What about Orphans? Uh, oh, multiple yeah. Or- multiple Orphans. Yeah, you could have like a group of colonial marines just entering a, <laughs> yeah, a yeah, yeah. distant wow. planet to fight a bunch of evil uh, evil Isabel Furmans. I would watch Oh my that. god, so Gourney Weaver can be all the all the orphans. Yeah, I think get a- we, we have a pitch here. Get away from her, you bitches you, yeah, you multiple bitch yeah <laughs> we've got it we're the green lit i would, um, I would watch this oh yeah I've, i'm watching it in my mind right now um jinx so you've told us a little bit about you i want to know more you've mentioned writing columns for bloody disgusting i'm leading you to talk about my favorite column in the world which is phantom limbs can we can we like get into that a little bit uh, yeah absolutely so i write one of the columns that i uh do which is probably the more popular column that I, I write is called Phantom Limbs, and it basically delves into the histories of um, unproduced horror remakes and sequels. So they can't really be standalone projects; they have to have some sort of connection to something else. Otherwise, the title of the column doesn't really 
doesn't really work. Uh, so that's been a little limiting. I can't tell you how many times I've run across a, uh, you know, an unproduced horror film. And I'm like, Ooh, I could write about that. Oh, wait a second. It's not a Yeah, sequel. but nobody cares. Trust me from someone that tries to do that. Sometimes no one cares. No yeah. one wants it. They want <laughs> the limbs. And you know what? I'm kind of in agreement with that. I, I get it. You know, somebody, it's funny. One just went up uh, a couple of days ago. I did one on a, uh, an unproduced Hellraiser movie called Hellraiser Lament with writer Peter Briggs. And mm-hmm. somebody in the comments section said, hey, they should totally do a Phantom Limbs on Barker's uh, Tortured Souls, which <gasps> is going to be this big film adaptation of the toy line that he did. And I had remembered that they were banding about the idea of doing a movie. But according to this poster, I didn't realize this. They had actually produced a script uh, written by Hans Rodianoff, the guy who did uh, Marvel's Man Thing back in the day. And I think he wrote one of the Lost Boys sequels. And I got really excited for two seconds. I was like, I didn't even know that there was a script written. Yes, of course, I would love to uh, write about this. And I was like, oh, wait a second, not a sequel, not a remake, damn it. But, you know, maybe I can stretch it a little bit and say that it was connected to you know, because it was a toy the line. Toys. Originally yeah, it's a franchise. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> no, it's not. I gotta tell um, you. You know what's uh, it's very auspicious is that I'm pretty sure when I sent you a list of, like, topics possible to cover, um, at the very bottom of the list, I had Tortured Souls. And I thought, do I want to cover Tortured Souls? And I kind of just, <laughs> it was the last one I, I deleted before emailing you. Well, it's funny. There's so, like, I personally know so little about it. I've read the novella. Which oh. I think on its own would be absolutely amazing. But what's weird is from uh, what little I've read about it now, uh, apparently the Rodinoff script really just kind of took the world and took the characters that Barker cool. created and then told a completely new story. And I'm like, one, how dare you think that you can talk to Clyde Barker? Audacious. Just, you know, but two, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I, I would like to write about it, but I got to tell you, and I, I can't get too much into this i don't want to get into trouble with anyone hmm. not that not that yeah, yeah, i don't know what are they going to do uh but at the well, same now time, i'm interested <laughs> well, you know, I, I don't want to piss anybody off and i don't know do anybody who's gonna hear no this, one's listening it's gonna, just my mom i'm gonna tap dance around this um i love clive barker i adore clive uh-huh. barker i've met clive barker a couple of times and he has never been anything more than unfailingly polite and awesome to his fans and you'll never hear me say a bad word about the man now that said I had heard rumors from time to time that maybe like, you know, some of the people that you have to contact to get into touch with him are maybe a bit more difficult and maybe they have, you know, which is fine. But I actually, there was a particular, it was, it was like my third or fourth Phantom Limbs. It was the one thing, like when I started the column, it was the one movie that I wanted to write about that I had in mind anyway, like, okay, I've got to build up to this. If I'm going to do this column, this is the movie that I've wanted to know about since I was a kid, since I was 14 years old when it was first announced and it never happened. And I've always wanted to know why. And I did a lot of research and I, and it was Barker related and I found the writer somehow, some way I was like, Oh my God, there was a script written and this is the guy who did it. And can I get in touch with him? Yes, I can. And would he agree to talk about it? Yes, he will. And I interviewed him and he was the nicest guy. And he took me through the development. He took me through all the beats of the story, which would have been amazing. He told me why it ultimately didn't happen. It was a complete article. I wrote the thing. I sent it to him. He was cool with it. And then, moron that I am, I had to overreach 
And uh. what I did about a month prior, uh, Jeffrey Reddick, who created the Final Destination franchise, he was nice enough to allow Bloody Disgusting to run as an exclusive his original treatment and his original screenplay for what would ultimately become Final Destination. So if you wanted to read his actual documents, all you got to do is pull up that article and we have them as PDFs within the text of the article. I did a little bit of an intro, a little bit of an interview, and then we ran those. So genius that I was, I asked this writer, I was like, well, if this is never going to get produced, could we just run your script? And he was like, sure, no problem whatsoever. Abs, how would I do that? You know, do I just get it scanned and send it to you? Or do you want to do that? I could send it physically. I'm like, whatever. He's like, great. Everything was going swimmingly. And then it turned out he was like, oh, um, oh, here's the thing. Clive has made a bunch of notes in the margins of the copy that I have. Your readers probably wouldn't want to see a marred up copy, would they? And I'm like, clive barker's notes (laughs) yeah they're probably gonna want to see that that's gonna be fine he's like okay he's like tell you what let me just ask clive if it's okay then to reproduce it you know in such a way because you know it's his handwriting let me make certain that that's okay and then i'll send it to you and i was like great so a day passes and he gets back to me and he's like i am so sorry he was like i didn't have clive's number so i had to go through his people and his people um they do not want this going up and they all but threaten legal action against me so please do not run that no way. and i was like wait you know I, I, let, let me see if i got this right so we're not running the script and he's like no and i was like but i also can't run the story like that i just that we that you and i had that great talk for and you had all those great little bits of information and i transcribed it all and wrote the article like i can't even run it And he's like, please don't. And I was like, okay, all right. So that is Phantom Limbs has its own Phantom Limb. Like there is an (gasps) entire article that that is is basically destroyed. Like I was just like, okay, you know. uh, know, I'm going to have to do an episode on it. (laughs) It's too late. I'm uncovering. It, it broke my heart. It really did. Because again, that was, you know, one of the, the the reasons that I wanted to write this column in the first place was to sort of scratch that, those various itches that I've had over the years. Like, oh, whatever happened to that project? Oh, why didn't that ever come to pass? Oh, what would that have been about? And this was pretty much one of my main ones. And uh, the fact that I did it, but then I couldn't share it, like it's it was a little heartbreaking. Oh God, I'm dying to know what it is. Can you tell me and I bleep it out, or can you tell me off air? I yeah I uh, yeah if you can bleep off it air, out off air oh, it is I'll bleep it out. I've always wanted to bleep something out because people do it in podcasts all the time. Oh, that'll try. see now that'll drive people nuts. You know what? I don't care. I'll go ahead and tell the story. Like um, I'll go ahead and tell people <laughs> what it is because it doesn't really matter. I don't want to yes. frustrate anybody after telling this entire story. It one of my favorite movies. I think Barker's best film as a director, and I love Hellraiser. I adore Nightbreed, but I think his most accomplished work as a filmmaker was Lord of Illusions, and that okay. was in, it was intended to be a franchise. And unfortunately, Lord of Illusions kind of underperformed at the box office, but there was still that idea that they would continue on the franchise with Scott Bakula in the role of uh, Harry Damore, the uh-huh. the detective who constantly gets wrapped up in supernatural shenanigans and whatnot against his, uh, against his will and against his, uh, mm-hmm. his better judgment often. And um, so for years, like going back to early Fangoria's back in the day, the terror teletype, they would note that there was this upcoming direct-to-video sequel to star Scott Bakula called Vipex. 
And I, I just remember being like, okay, I'm on board. I love Lord of Illusions. I love uh, Bakula as that character. Let's go. And it seems like for about a good half decade after that, there would always be one update a year. Like, it's still going to happen. It's still going to happen. It's still going to so happen. Rude. That's and so then, to you. And then they just stopped. And so for years, I'd always kind of wondered about that. And like I said, I, I, I won't say his name. Uh, and it is kind of... At the time that I found his name out, it was a little hard to find. Maybe if people do digging, but I found the writer, super nice man, nicest man in the world. He was great. Um, but yeah, so we 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 did the talk. He he told me all about the development and how awesome Clive Barker was to work with. And wow. he talked about the director, the guy who was going to direct it. He talked about the story, which honestly. It might have been a direct-to-video movie, but he wrote a big-budget theatrical story. Like, it it had scope. Like, there would have been amazing stuff in there if they could have pulled it off. And it would have been just one hell of a story with that character. And what's weird is it would have been an essential story in Barker's canon because there there's a real arc for the Harry Demore uh-huh. character who not only appears in the Barker movie Lord of Illusions, but also in a lot of other... Uh, of Barker's works like short stories and novels and whatnot. And so, and maybe that's why, maybe that's why his people being fair, you know, maybe that's why Barker's people are still keen on kind of protecting that story because maybe it's going to pop up in some form elsewhere. Maybe it'll be a short story. Maybe it'll be a novella or novel. Honestly, I doubt it because it's been 26 years, you know, it's, no, it's but like, yeah. yeah. So that was, that was, that was my heartbreaker. I'm so sorry. You know, it's probably a team of dragon gays and there's just no getting by them. I'm <laughs> sorry, but you know what? I, you know why I love and I appreciate you is when you, when you set it up to say that, you know, the one development hell project that I cared the most about, I was like, Ooh, what is this going to be? And of course it is the hyper specific direct video to the strange <laughs> art house nineties moment of Lord of Illusion. It's just such a great, like, deep cut choice that I respect so much. I mean, that's it's, the one it's bonkers and outrageous. I, you know, it's weird. There's certainly, I, I've still got a list and, uh, you know, there's some really big names on it and there's some really, you know, maybe not so big names on it, but, you know, it's just weird being a Barker fanboy for life and, you know, mm-hmm. having been since I was a kid, that was one that just always sort of hung there and made me wonder about what it was, what was going on there and why it never happened. And the, the fact that I did it and the fact that I solved it, the fact that I found the guy and the fact that I wrote it. It's brutal. Yeah, And I guess, you know, that's, that's the thing that proved to me that like when I write this column, like what I'm getting out of it, it isn't just for me, but it's also the idea of being able to share it because I know, you know, for years I wanted to know what that story was. And now I know, you know, I wanted to know what happened there and now I do, but it doesn't mean quite as much as if I don't get to share that with readers. You know what I mean? Totally. It's funny. I was my like number one movie. The whole reason I'm in development hell content was the American Mickey's Alice adaptation. And I thought, oh, yeah, yeah. Nobody's going to care about this random thing that almost happened in the year 2000. And it's like my second most successful episode. So I feel like there's something really to be said about, you know, focusing on the ones that you care the most about because people will resonate with that. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, that's that's one of those projects that I was always kind of curious about too. Because, you know, I remember trolling the uh, the message boards and the early uh, early you know uh, horror movie sites back in the day, and that was one that continually came up. I want to believe was it Sarah Michelle Geller who was Hell yeah. attached early on, like over and over, and so. 
yeah, that was another that I was just kind of like, what's going on there? Why is it not happening? What's the deal? You know, it's my favorite topic, and I'm so glad that I found you because you, only you really understand. I think that's my <laughs> opinion. Um, so let's dive in a little bit into what we're going to be doing today. I said it a few times. I'm going to say it again. We're headed into collector territory today. Mm-hmm. We are covering the collected, which is the um, yet to be. Uh, scene third film in the franchise and I'm wondering Jinx why did you pick this topic uh, I'm a big fan of the franchise I, I really dig it I, I was kind of mildly obsessed with the movie back when it came out uh, the first film that is The Collector back in 2009 um, mm-hmm. and it before I even saw it you know I was kind of a huge Saw fan uh, the writers were relatively you know Dunson and Melton they were relatively new to the Saw franchise when they did The Collector so I kind of, you know, it was on my radar for that. I remember that first trailer came out with the, uh, I don't know, it's catchy as hell for a horror song, but it's uh, Beast of America. I was listening uh, to it today. It's so good. It's so good. I, I listen to that song all the time still, you know, over a decade yeah. later. Um, I'm sorry. Is that the intro song or is it just the trailer song? Uh, it's a it- trailer song, but I want to say that it closes out the end credits too. Oh, okay. I was obsessed with the like the opening credits song. Oh, that's fantastic too. Yes, but they're, uh, they're both good. It's heavy. It's it's heavy stuff all around. Yeah, uh, great soundtracks actually for both movies. But um, you know, it, it kind of perfectly set that tone, and I was like, oh, I need to see this. And I worked at a movie theater at the time, but for whatever reason, it was a limited enough release that my little tin screen in Ashland, Kentucky, didn't get it. But a stone's throw away in the larger Huntington, West Virginia, they had a 20 screen theater that did get it. So myself and a couple of buddies made the trek there and watched it opening day. And I saw it a few more times actually before it left and just really dug the hell out of it. And, you know, I've got some issues with it and we can definitely dive into that, but, you know, going from the first movie to the second, a few years later, which is really, you know, if the first movie is alien, you know, it's essentially one location, it's quiet, it's creepy, it's moody. You know, the second movie is Aliens. Like, the scope is larger. There's a much bigger cast. There's far more action and bigger set pieces. And uh, it was same movie theater. I went to Huntington and watched it a couple of times with uh, a couple that. of Saturday night crowds. And, you know, everyone went nuts for it. Which was, you know, it was ultimately kind of disappointing then to find that even though the theater that I saw it in had a pretty sizable audience each time out and everyone was kind of rowdy in a good way not trying to overpower the movie but celebrate it if that makes any sense you know uh-huh. um yeah it was just it was so much fun and uh you know the second movie ends on kind of like a strange to be continued note it's very satisfying but at the same time you want to see what's going to happen next and honestly after it underperformed i was like you know we're, we're never getting a third one so we're just going to have to be happy with the two that we got you know and then all of the horror sites, I believe Bloody Disgusting broke the news that mm-hmm. a week had been shot. Dunstan and Melton were back on it. They actually got Josh Stewart and I believe Emma Fitzpatrick back mm-hmm. as their leads. And I was like, oh my God, yes, I can't wait. And so I didn't really pursue any information on it beyond that. I was just happy to know that it was happening finally. And then there was that story that broke with uh, the writers oh, yeah. basically noting that it wasn't going to happen. So that is one to me that you know, I don't know that I would personally do a Phantom Limbs on it yet because um, <laughs> it's funny. I just did a Phantom Limbs a few weeks ago with D. Snyder about his Strangeland sequel. And while we were talking, he was like, you know, I don't want to talk too much about it because I still want it to happen. And I was like, 
okay, all right, that's fair. Like, I'll note that within the story. But, you know, at the same time, we've been waiting for the movie for like 20 years, you know, like. Well, the best I, way to make it happen is to is to do an article on it because that's exactly. what happens to me. Every time I cover something, a day later, it's like Disney announces it. So. Which is great. Which is great. It's, it's, it's a beautiful superpower. Well, but but with this, you know, with the third film, The Collected, that is a movie that I want to happen so badly. And it's why I would love to talk about it at length with you. But at the same time, like, I still have my fingers crossed that they're going to mm-hmm. figure it out. Uh, but yeah, that's that's there's a whole weird wonky history that I'm sure we're going to get into. Though. Oh, and it's the drama is just so juicy. But at the end of today, we're going to get to decide, you and I officially, if it's going to happen or not. So we really have to consider wisely with all the pieces because it's up to us I, ultimately at the end of the day i've been thinking about this and i already have my answer it could wow. change over the course of our conversation but right. i will say um my answer is going to be complicated i love a complicated answer because the world is in grayscale <laughs> so something about the movie that i'm a little bit obsessed with is the fact that it was originally pitched as a prequel to the saw films called the midnight man uh, what do you think of this title versus what we got? Well, it's not as, you know, and I did a little research on that too, because I have another column for Bloody Disgusting called uh, Larval Inc., which is all about taking screenplays that uh, varied wildly from their finished form as a feature film, you know, and kind of compare the two. So, you know, if you have a draft of the film that's quite different from the movie it became, you know, then I basically lay out the, for example, I think the first one that I did was a uh, ghost ship. And so I really took a look at the screenplay <laughs> Chimera, which was much more of a psychological thriller. And I talked to the writer about, you know, uh, the story and breaking it down and what his uh, inspirations were. And then talking about how this quiet, creepy, limited scope psychological thriller became this 20, 30, $40 million. Uh, again, we're talking about dark castle, how could <laughs> but this not? big dark how castle movie with, uh, you know, big set pieces and a larger cast and uh, in your face, ghosts and supernatural shenanigans and whatnot. So, I wanted to do one on The Collector a couple of months ago, and then I did a couple of, uh, oh, I think it was around the time it was uh, what I considered Saw Week. I wrote like three articles the week that Spiral came out, and so I wanted one dealing with The Collector and how it was initially going to be a Saw prequel, but what's weird is... One, I couldn't get a hold of the writers. Like, I reached out and got nothing back uh, from Dunstan or Melton's people, which is fine. I mean, they're busy gentlemen. That's completely cool. Um, But I read conflicting things that, okay, so there's one story that goes that it was developed as a Saw prequel. Uh, Lionsgate, maybe, wasn't keen on doing it as such. And so they retconned it to become what it became. And then I read another account that says they essentially wrote this movie, tried to shop it. That didn't happen. And then so they tried to shop it as a Saw prequel and then it didn't happen. So I guess it doesn't really matter either way. It wound up in the same place no matter what. But um, but it would be curious to see like what the actual origin was and, you know, how that because, you know, you've seen the movies like mm-hmm. can you see anything in there that would have allowed for John Kramer to be in the mix? You know what I mean? I mean, listen, if all the Saw movies can can do it, why not this one? Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> and but, I say that with love in my heart. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I, 
you know, talking about this movie again, like I kind of had my fingers crossed for not only the original movie, but the sequel as well, because with Dunstan and Melton stuff, I find them to be really hit and miss. Like when they're good, they're really, really good. Mm -hmm. But when they're not, oof, you know, like, uh, for example, sometimes within the same franchise, like uh, Feast, you know, I... I totally rooted for those guys. Like they were my heroes watching uh, season three of project Greenlight. I don't know if you've seen that season. I but did. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, leading up to feast, I, I felt so bad for both of them when you had like Wes Craven of all people like bashing their work. There's that famous Imagine. scene with Matt Damon. Of course they weren't there at the time, but of course they had to watch the show afterwards. And, you know, when you have Matt Damon rallying against your movie being made and pointing out that Wes Craven himself, you know, what's the line he says? Like you have the master of horror telling you that your movie sucks, you know, or something <laughs> like that. It's like, Oh, that's, that's tough. from the creator of my soul to take to your yeah. ears. <laughs> That's a fair point. Uh, yeah, <laughs> no, he, I love you, Wes. The Wes Craven rules, but he gave a dog a yes, sequence. Yes, my hero. Part two. Come on. Uh, <laughs> but I love him. I really do. Me, like of him. course. I don't want anyone to get mad at me. He's obviously no, I, the king. <laughs> he, he really is. He really is. I, <laughs> yeah. I adore Wes Craven. But at the same time, like, and to be fair, Wes Craven was also much more diplomatic about dismissing the script than Matt Damon was. He I was, mean, of course, he's, he's poet laureate Wes Craven. He's so polite. <laughs> But, you know, I, but, you know, so Feast, which came out of that, they wrote, I actually think is a blast, but then Feast 2 is terrible. But then yeah, Feast I've never 3... seen the sequels. Oh, and okay. Because I've, I just haven't heard, you know, I haven't heard it something that I'd enjoy. Two is, two is tough. Three is kind of fun in its own way, but neither of them are as good as the first film. But then you have oh, I... the uh, Saw uh-huh. franchise. Where uh-huh. four and six are some of the stronger entries in the series, but then five and seven are absolutely Malign. their weakest. You know, yeah. People, I find six is very polarizing, which always shocks me because I think it's okay. Don't get mad at me. I think it's one of the best ones. Oh, I love it. I love it. I would put it. I do too. With, uh, I, it, it's saying three. something. Something. I don't know what it's saying, but it's saying something. I'll tell, well, I mean. You know, it's funny that they decided to finally have a movie in that franchise that was kind of topical. And uh, <laughs> yeah. and why not? Because you have a character who had cancer. So mm-hmm. why not have Jigsaw go up against, uh, you know, Crooked? Big uh, exactly. You know, why yeah. not? So I, I It's the most American of themes. And plus, you know, putting somebody through that, putting the head of like that, you know, Crooked Health Insurance Company up against his own people and up against... Uh, you know, kind of the people that he had harmed and giving him the choice and sort of, uh, you know, making him make those choices for real and having to see the people that he's hurting face to face, I thought was really, really interesting. I mean, there's that great sequence with, uh, you know, the merry-go-round, which I think is I, one of the all-time That's all I can think about. <laughs> that's the only thing I can think about with the movie. It's so good. But yeah, when he finally makes that choice to save the final... Uh, final person and so the last guy who was like his right hand man you know as he's making that last trek around to the shotgun before he gets it in the chest you know who's our lead the william eaton character is looking away (laughs) and the guy is challenging him he was like look at me as you're killing me and it's such a smart it's such an ice cold moment but it's such a smart moment too when again you have characters who in real life all those guys are removed from the death and destruction that they wreak Oh, hell yeah. So, no, but that's a long way around of saying, basically, you know, when it comes to Dunstan and Melton, they're kind of hit and miss with me. But when it comes to the Collector franchise, I I think they knocked it out of the park twice. I agree. They are, 
silly, silly movies, especially the second one. <laughs> but they are so special and so um, disgusting that you have to love them. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I do think it is kind of ingenious, that first movie. I remember when they were doing the interview rounds uh, when it first came out. They said that uh, they were big Michael Mann fans. And so they mm, said they sense. were essentially trying to meld two of their fiber, favorite eh, – I can't speak uh, – two of their favorite Michael Mann movies together. Well, can I guess one of them? Go ahead. It has to – if I'm an idiot, this isn't even a Michael Mann movie. Hit me in the face. But it has to be Manhunter, right? Yep. So the two were Thief and Manhunter. Well, there you go. So the idea is like, what if you take like the James Conn character and you put him up against the uh, the villain for Manhunter? What would that look like? And so I, I thought that was kind of I thought that was kind of smart. That was kind of interesting. Yeah, and it has that like real sexy Manhunter like filter. Oh, lots too. of blue, blue as hell, blue everywhere. Yeah, but like in a way that I like. Like it looks like a music video in a way that I'm not angry about. Yeah, you know, that's the interesting thing about their first movie. And I don't know if it was intentional or if it was a matter of maybe a failing budget at times. Who knows? But there are sequences in this movie. And it's funny, I'm actually running it in the background as we're chatting. Um, But there are sequences that are super stylish and beautifully shot, beautifully choreographed. You know, some of the camera movements, especially early on when Arkin is uh, the lead character played by Josh Stewart, he is sort of uh, dancing around the house, you know, with the the villain unaware that he's in there, but maybe yeah. having an idea that he's in there. You know, the lighting and, again, the camera movement and everything is all quite gorgeous. But then there are stretches in the movie that are kind of simple and ugly and kind of representative of all of the worst of, like mid-aughts post-saw torture porn you know oh yeah and so it's it's a it's a kind of a mixed bag visually this movie but it still kind of works for all of that it's very endearing i think because yeah. it's it's not a perfect film by any means sometimes i, I i'm like why what, what the hell but you're right it, there's a special quality when you mix all that stuff together but you can tell this is by horror fans and it it's just so close to being like an instant classic when you're watching it. Like this, this resonates as, I don't know, this like, this is going to be remembered, but I don't know if it will be. I think they were really close to getting there, but I don't know if they got there. Yeah. You know, and it, it kind of like, there are so many neo slashers that was sort of, uh, you know, uh, given birth to throughout the mid aughts that maybe never had a shot at being as iconic as their eighties forebears, you know, like, I, I, and don't get me wrong, this is not knocking these characters, but like uh, Victor Crowley from the Hatchet films or <laughs> yeah. Leslie Vernon from uh, Leslie. Love him, love him. Like Aww. great characters, both, but both of those franchises began at kind of the, you know, the wrong right, time. Uh, the yeah. wrong time. And the two the wrong... hunks, though. I, I, I want them more from both. <laughs> that, that is a fact. I mean, but they, you know, I, I, I think by sort of starting life out on the direct-to-video level like there was probably never a chance they were going to reach no. mainstream appeal with the collector even though it was a limited theatrical release i think it stood a very good chance of getting there and for whatever reason it just it didn't quite make it yeah and it might have just been the support that they weren't receiving you know what I it think, is i think, yes i think it's a netflix uh uh acquirement away from mm-hmm. getting a really appreciative audience. It's one of those movies that if you see like, 
you know, pop up on Netflix. It's like, this is the fourth watched movie on Netflix today. It would, yes, yes. People would so... be doing articles like there would oh be, Oh my not, God, it would be hush. Us. This would be, they would be the the next Mike Flanagan's. Oh my God, yeah, totally. Like it would be the, uh, yeah, none of the horror sites, you know, because they're already in the know, but you would have a bunch of other websites going like, what is this 12 year old slasher movie that is, you know, causing yeah. such a buzz on Netflix? And then- you know, maybe Netflix picks up, uh, you know, the collection and it does well. And then, damn it, maybe they go ahead and fund the third movie. Yeah. Yeah, you're so right. Which leads us to the complicated answer we're going to get to one day, which is, yeah, it, it's definitely standing a chance. But, but you know, we'll get we'll get there. <laughs> um, do you if you have gone to your head, if you had to give a log line for the first movie, what would you say? Oh gosh, um, thief with a heart of gold finds himself trapped in a house with uh, a serial killer in the midst of torturing uh, uh, a poor, unfortunate family with horrific saw-like traps. He's done it. We've got a writer. Yeah, that 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 does it. It's a simple first film for sure, um, which is why I think it's so effective. I was reading that dimension. Uh, had it at one point, like the dimension put up the money to actually make the movie and correct me if I'm wrong, but that they gave uh, the producers or the directors the option to try to sell to somewhere else in order to get a theatrical. And it looked like they were able to do that. Um, but I don't know who, who picked it up from dimension. Do you know? Was it Mickey Liddell's company? I think. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So yeah, that that's, you know, and that's the thing like uh you know we we'd have to dive into an alternate universe to figure out whether or not that was the best thing for the movie because you know he did give it a theatrical release it was it was relatively small but he still got it out there and bless him when it comes to dimension you know there is a version of that release where i could see dimension doing that magic that they did and releasing it as counter-programming the week of Christmas, you know, against all of the family fair and it doing really, really well. You know, they did that shit going all the way back to Scream and usually it worked for them. You know, they would put out movies like uh, uh, The Darkness or Wolf Creek or even the Black Christmas remake, which at least makes sense in that case why they would put it out at Christmas. But <laughs> you know, Dimension had a thing, Miramax Dimension had a thing where they would put out horror movies during the holidays and they would always clean up by virtue of the fact, again, that they were counter-programming. And I could see The Collector coming out in, you know, Christmas of 2009. Oh, it has Christmas energy all over it. Oh, total, and totally like being the movie that you and I were just talking about, the movie that maybe hits with audiences and creates kind of a, a minor icon with yeah. that villain. But given that it was 2009, this is also kind of the period where dimension is on its way out and it no longer has the money to put out anything except straight to DVD. And I feel like 2009 dimension. Yeah. They just, they would have sent it straight to DVD because they didn't have any other choice. This totally, the collector would have been one of those uh, dimension extreme DVD releases, you know? Hell yeah, it would have been. So yeah, I, I think ultimately, you know, it's a shame that the movie wasn't made a couple of years in advance of when it was, but or later even, it was la just like later, yeah. I could see, yeah, it's like, uh, like today. I I would be cool with that, you know, or I I wish they could find a way to reintroduce because here's the thing, you know, and we are talking about the collected, like overall, you know, 
as much as I want to see it, I feel like their audience is already going to be kind of limited because that's going to be a tough sell to put a movie out there nine, 10 years after the last installment and expect a lot of audience members to come flocking back from two movies mm-hmm. that have performed in the first place. Yes. Yeah, and you're not going to get many audiences who, you know, unless they sell it somehow as a standalone. Well, that's what I would think that they'd have to do. Or like, um, the collector colon pray at night sort of deal. <laughs> totally. You know, I, in, in that way, the title scheme really works for them because the collected doesn't have that scary number to scare away people who haven't seen the prior two entries. So no. maybe a lot of people would come to a movie called the collected that looked pretty good and not realize that they've missed out on two prior installments. Who knows? But what's funny is, is, you know, if the third movie was going to be anything like the second, you really do need to see the previous installment. Oh, yeah. They've really shot themselves on the foot with that. <laughs> and especially, especially given how two ends, I can yes. only imagine that the third film is going to be really reliant on your knowledge of the previous movies. Oh, for sure. Um, and it doesn't, yeah. And it sounds like the route they were going was very, you know, enmeshed with the last two films. So I feel like if they are making a third film, it's probably not going to be a standalone Yeah, and it's not going to make any money. And it sounds like whatever sketchy producer they were working with probably had the right idea to like run away and not say anything to them, but yikes, we'll, we'll get there, but Oh my God, what uh-huh. a nightmare. Um, just finishing up here. Oh yeah. So the original, so the collector, is that the first one? Sorry. Yes. The Collector, um, it sounds like at one point the original ending was just going to have Arkin leaving Hannah in the window and cutting to nothing. And I like I think that would have been a better ending than like the Michael Bay ending we ended up getting um like Frankenstein stitched in there. What Wait, do you that, think? Was that the real ending? I always thought that, that was a gag ending because especially with the middle finger that he gives the little girl as he runs away. I'm like, really? That's the hero? Like, that's got to be a gag. That's got to be. (laughs) I mean, I would have been into, if that was me, I would be hella out of there. But this guy needed to save the cat. Totally. Totally. I mean, he's, you know, what's weird is, is that Arkin over the course of the two movies, he has kind of this dueling arc thing where in the first movie, he is a thief. But he's also kind of like, he's a thief who's put in a hard situation. He's a thief with a heart of gold who is doing what he's doing to save his family and his little girl from a really bad situation. What happened to the ruby? And what happened to the wife? They kind of get into it in the second one, but it doesn't make sense. Yeah, it's... You know, you're right. But, well, by the time Which we I'm get okay. to the end of the first movie, like, he does do the right thing. He saves the girl. But what's weird is, is by the time you get to the second movie, you're right. Like, it he is a guy who doesn't save, you know, no. the, the damsel in distress as it were. And he's too tired. Look at his eyes. Well, he's tired. He's kind of terrified. I'm sure there's some sort of <laughs> PTSD that he's dealing with, but it's interesting that they make him kind of more of a selfish character in the second movie who yeah. has to kind of find himself again by the end. And what I love about it is that, you know, he kind of becomes the damsel in distress who is yeah. saved by yes, Emma Fitzpatrick's character, which I love. I, I love that. I love that dueling sort of, uh, again, the dueling arcs, you know, and how they have him kind of up and down. And it makes him a far more interesting character because he isn't a clean cut hero. He's not a, he's not exactly a villain either, but 
he's not he's not simple you know there there no. there there is some depth to him and it makes him more realistic i think he's a super interesting character he's like he's a great lead i think as part of why these movies succeed when they might have not really needed to succeed is partially due to the antagonist and the protagonist they really work well together i think yeah i agree and it's you know i think the movies are sort of really smart and that dunson and melton were very smart in that they elected to keep him like i could you know when he mm-hmm. goes into the trunk at the end of the first movie when they announced the sequel i just already had it in mind that we were going to have a brand new lead and that arkin wasn't going to figure into it at all you know that would just yeah, be a or question rare, or like hardly yeah. he, he would be dr gordon from the end of the first song it's like oh i yes, wonder what happened exactly to him. what i thought that's exactly what I was thinking. So so I think it was smart of them to say, like, no, this is our guy. You know, we are going to have another lead, but we're going to have him back as well. And then, again, with the third movie, they were planning on having both heroes back, which I think is great. It's really smart, and it, it keeps us invested, I think. Yeah, it's into the the multiverse of the Collector. <laughs> into Bring the collector back um, uh, Tobey Maguire. You know, we... <laughs> uh, Hashtag Andrew Garfield forever, but <laughs> really, is that is that your is that your uh, uh, yeah okay so is that your hot take? I'm, I'm not disrespecting. I just want to know. I I really love uh, Sam Raimi's first two Spider-Man movies. I really do. Excuse me, but the third one does exist. How dare you? It it sure does. <laughs> it does exist. I'll give you that. We will agree. Like we will agree on its existence. Um, That's true. But no, Tobey Maguire, I think, is a great Steve Ditko, Stan Lee Spider-Man. You know, he's a great classic Spider-Man. For my money, Andrew Garfield is kind of like the 90s Spider-Man that I grew up with. He's he's a little funnier. He's a little more charismatic. He's, he's the smart-ass Spider-Man, you know. And mm-hmm. I kind of love it. I don't think, you know, it's a shame his movies don't really earn him. I don't think. I agree. He was not at fault with why those movies maybe didn't resonate the way that people were hoping. Yeah. Now, I, I think if, you know, so Emma Marvel, Stone. No, I'm kidding. I, don't. <laughs> I, I thought she was quite good, but. She was okay. But, you know, it. yeah, it's just kind of a shame because I, I think Garfield had it in him to be great in that role. And if they do do the. Uh, into the Spider-Verse thing, I could see him really shining in a Marvel movie, you know? And um, mm-hmm. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. And he's such an artist, too. Like, you, you just get the energy out of, that you have a real thespian with this guy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I still want to see a Psycho remake with him playing the uh, Anthony Perkins role because... Wow. Has that ever been discussed? That's he's so a, perfect. He's a ringer. Oh, my God. Yeah, he hella is. And, and he loves drag, too. So that would be... A helpful component. Really? I didn't know that, but that would be... Yeah, he loves drag. He's been a guest judge on Drag Race at least once. Real? Okay, no, he'd be... That would be even more perfect, I would think. I'd love to see a a new take on Psycho handling the drag in a way that, like, wasn't completely problematic. Although, good luck to whoever gets that job. Yeah, it's like, how do you... You know, that would be the difficult thing in doing a reboot with that character now is handling him in such a way that is true to the character and true to his particular psychosis yes, without yes. making, you know, and what's weird is, is I think, I think Hitchcock even tried to counter that in his original movie, you know, going to the end, because there is that scene with, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, was it the Martin Balsam character who comes out at the end. No, Mar- not Martin Balsam. Um, Simon Oakland, 
who comes out at the end and does the five minute long speech that everyone says goes on for too long and gives away too much, which I disagree with entirely. I think it's a pacing thing and not <laughs> a plot thing. I think it's perfect. Um, but, you know, in in sort of giving the explanation, trying to point out like, look, this is not, you know, this is not an, uh, a matter of sexuality. You know, this is a matter of mm-hmm. literally two beings inhabiting one body, you know. I lo- well, I love that. And so, yeah. And so by, by doing that, I think Hitchcock, even then in a time that wouldn't have cared if it were problematic or not, you know, Uh was trying to undo, uh, um, I love that it's possession kind of. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's how I always took it. Like not in a supernatural sense, but hundred percent in a psychological sense. Like he, he's, he's, you know, Norman Bates, especially when you get to the sequels, which I think are far better than they have any right to be. They really, Oh yeah. Hell yeah. He's a good man. Like Norman Bates is a good man who has a monster on his back. I love number four. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I'm a number four stan. Four is fucking fantastic. Uh, Oh, so I'm not, this isn't a hot take. See, I've never talked to this about, I've never talked to anyone in the community about this. So is it not a hot take to like four? Oh, it's, it's 100% a hot take to like four. Oh, but I love it all the same because you know what? Psycho four, in addition to being a great character piece and in addition to really getting at the heart of what Norman Bates real problem is, um, it provides a horror movie icon with something that no horror movie icon ever really gets, which is an ending, a definitive conclusion. I love uh, that. You know, whenever Jason, you know, uh, gets sunk to the bottom of the lake or Freddy is, uh, you know, sort of undone or any of the classic <laughs> universal monsters, you know that they can come back. You know, and it, it, so there's never really an ending there. What I love about Psycho 4 is that they deal with his problem and they resolve the problem that makes him a monster. And then they burn down the house is kind of an exclamation point to that. And you, if they had wanted to do more sequels, they could have. But by the end of that movie, you have a man who finally overcomes his monster. And I, I, I love that. I, I, I think it's a really powerful point in ending. I don't know that I buy that his wife would have stuck with him after that. Um, but, no, um, probably not. Probably not. You know, and well, I don't know how old Hen- Henry Thomas was in that film, but what a hunk. If he was over 18, he was a hunk. That's just was, no way I, I think he was probably 18 or 19 by that point. So, what a uh, cutie. And obviously Olivia Hussey is just the, the forever cutie. You know, more than anything, if they were going to continue the franchise, and obviously they did Bates Motel, which was kind of a, a closed off like reboot in its own right. And I thought it was- Didn't they also do another, like a directive video- like oh no maybe that was in the 80s sorry uh, they, to interrupt you they, no you're good uh they did something yeah you're Called right it's motel i think even yeah it was a pilot for a tv show that never went but became a tv movie and it was um much like spider-man 3 it exists hey um, well but uh and then they did you know the gus van sant remake which somehow yeah. some way is one of the worst movies ever made but also one of the most important movies ever made uh, and that's my favorite kind of movie well i mean better than any you know, filmmaking book or filmmaking course or a lecture or literally anything else better than anything. You have a movie that perfectly exemplifies how important a director's personal vision and connection to the material is to the success of the movie they're making. <laughs> Alfred Hitchcock was a man who was driven by certain demons. Uh, obviously, Robert Block's novel spoke to him. He adapted it and it's an absolute masterpiece. Now, when you look at Gus Van Zandt's movie, um, you know, when people say that they hate that film, what do they hate about it? Do they hate the screenplay? 
which was also the screenplay that no. Hitchcock used that was a masterpiece? No. Well, what about the shot selection? Well, all of the shots were essentially the same. So you can't really say that that was problematic either. Well, how about the cast? Well, that cast, if you look at them Stellar. on paper. In- interstellar. Fucking fantastic. Who did they get yeah. to shoot the movie? But uh, Christopher Doyle, who is one of the best men to ever pick up a camera and shoot with it. Like he's, it's incredible. So what is it about that movie that doesn't work? And honestly, I think the difference is, is that Hitchcock was connected to the material that he was bringing to the screen. And Gus Van Sant really liked watching the movie Psycho, you know? <laughs> and so it, it's a movie without a soul. And uh, it's that's very why, soulless. That's true. And that's why I think it's, uh, it's kind of marvelous in its own way. It's an awful movie, but gosh, is it important in its own way? Yeah. And it kind of has, um, uh, oh God, what was the, the 60s art pop New York City guy? What was, Warhol. Yes. It has a Warhol energy to it, 100%. in my opinion. It, it's it's a soup can of a movie. That's a fact. <laughs> Very much so. And I'll I'll watch it again one day. That's not a movie that I'm never going to watch again. That's my take. I But, you know, if they were going to continue, it's funny that you mentioned Henry Thomas. I would either want them to do a... Because the timing works out, like the math works out, you know, do a son of psycho with, uh, with mm-hmm. Andrew Garfield or do the, uh, a couple of years ago, I don't know if you remember this, but they had, um, Oh, I forget his name, Chet something or other, mm-hmm. uh, very good author. He did kind of this one-off novel called psycho sanitarium. Uh, they put it out in a black and white paperback, you know, it had a, like a black and white cover that was great. And it was all about Norman's time in the sanitarium after he had gotten captured. Nice. Uh, after the events of the, uh, well, in this case, the original novel. So it's kind of a, uh, a sequel to Block's novel, not necessarily the movie. But given that both the movie and there the was movie, a sequel, right to the to the novel. What, yes, which are. Yeah, the movies and the novels go in two entirely different directions. But what's great about Psycho Sanitarium is that you can read it as a sequel to Block's novel or Hitchcock's film. It's vague enough to work either way. And I'm like, you know what? If Norman is meant to be a little bit older than that, and he's stuck in a sanitarium, like I wish they would do a period piece in between cool, if that's a thing, and get hmm. Henry Thomas to play Norman again. Yeah, he'll kill it. I'd love it. I'd love to see that. He was so good as Jack Torrance. Why not... This guy. I wanted to see more scenes with his Jack. I, I think that would have been a blast. It was the best part of that movie, which I hated. Sorry, everybody. Sorry, okay. everybody. But, 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 but can I ask you, did you see the theatrical cut or did you see the director's cut? Well, I definitely saw it in theaters. So I'm assuming. So, okay, if I can convince you to give it another shot, let me just say this. I am hmm. a huge fan of The Shining, both King's novel and Kubrick's film, which I know that some people like to choose one or the other. I adore them both. Uh-huh. Ah. Doctor, I'm on the film side. Doctor Sleep. I love. I, I mean, the film is just a masterpiece. It really is. The, the film. <laughs> I like the book. Oh, it's my favorite king. Um, the oh. film. I I adore. I think it's a masterpiece. I admit that I find it a little bit emotionally cold, but I think it's meant to be. I think that's that's not a knock against it. It's simply an observation. Doctor Sleep was pretty much the most anticipated movie uh, for me in 2019. I thought the second trailer was pretty much the best movie I saw that year. I couldn't have been more. <laughs> uh, they re-released The Shining about a month, month and a half in advance of Dr. Sleep coming out. Mm-hmm. And uh, I saw it on the big screen in 4K and it was just jaw-dropping. It's the first time I've I'd seen ever it seen it. Theater. Also in, in, on, the, on the big screen in 4K. There, yeah, hella, hella monumental. It's a revelation. It was, it was unbelievable. Even the, so, just that opening sequence. 
Yeah. Oh my God. The music and the helicopter. Holy shot the, shit. It was so, I wanted to cry in the theater. Uh, um, yes. I am with you. But Dr. Sleep, like I couldn't have been more amped to see it. And I got to the theater and I sat down and I got to tell you about 20 minutes in, I was just kind of like, Oh no. Oh yeah. no. Flanagan. That's still where I'm at. I love Flanagan and I love shining and I loved everything too, about this too. movie up until. So when I walked out of it, I, I will say I didn't hate it, but when I walked out, I was so deeply disappointed that I didn't care if I ever saw it again. Now being a completist, I bought the 4k straight away. Good man. I wanted to give the director's cut a shot more out of respect mm-hmm. to Flanagan than anything else, because I'd liked a lot of his previous stuff. Me Josh. First 20 minutes, I was like, oh, this is working. This is working so much better. By the end of the director's cut, I was ready to acknowledge the movie as a masterpiece. It's superb. The director's cut, hands down, is Flanagan's best film. Um, It it is astonishing the difference between the director's cut and the theatrical cut. Given that, not that much is different. There's only, of course, you can you know, you can hamstring, you can cripple a movie by cutting a minute out. If you cut the right minute, you know, mm-hmm. um, they cut 30 out of his okay. director's cut. Interesting. And so that 30 minutes not only includes more footage and gives you more story, but it, so it did some four and a half hours. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's three. Um, uh, okay. Yeah. Well, but the, the pace, the flow of the movie, like I fair, honestly, I found the theatrical cut boring. I, I thought that yeah, it, moved, it was hella boring. It moved at a snail's pace. Somehow, some way, reinstating that 30 minutes, it moves kind of like a bat out of hell. It's longer, but it moves better. It's more engaging. It has way, it has so much more heart. And again, it's, it's I think it's Flanagan's best movie. It went literally in the space of that cut. It, it went from Flanagan's worst movie to his best to me. Interesting. I be- like listen. I trust you, and I respect you, and I'm gonna I'm gonna rewatch it. But my main concern is that goddamn hat. Get it out of here. I cannot look at it. You cannot have a top hat in that many scenes and expect me to take this movie seriously. In the book, it's one thing you're not looking at it, but in the movie, it's just always there. It's ubiquitous. Well, she is evil. So That's, she she is, well first of all she is a gift to planet Earth and I'm so excited that I'm more familiar with her now because of that film. But Rebecca Ferguson is yeah, uh, marvelous. Holy crap! I mean, the if there ever was a Flanagan brunette, my God, she's it. Ha! I like that. You have Hitchcock blondes and Flanagan brunettes. I dig it. Oh yeah. Um. Okay. You you you've enticed me enough to actually give it a go. I was just so appalled. I I think you know when you like when you beat up a movie, you're like, oh, I don't like this movie. So you just like you turn on it with your whole evil heart. That's kind of what I did. No, I get so it. So I'm and I I'm definitely going to give it another go. And if I hate it, I'm going to have to come for you. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, and it's it is very divisive. I, I I have people giving me their opinions on that movie on every side of the of the spec. So. At least it's causing a response in people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the worst thing for it would have... I would think for people to just be like, eh, you know. Yeah, I mean, that that's truly the death kiss, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. So, t- we're going to talk about the collection, too, before we get into the nitty-gritty of what happened to the collected, which is great. Um, 
so let's get into it just a little bit. I want to start with that opening club scene kill because that is just um, cinema gold classic cinema moment that I think needs to be remembered forever. Very much in tone with the opening sequence from Ghost Ship, but you know, just much 100%. more disgusting. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's brilliant. It's uh, it's one hell of an energetic way to open the movie. And it also, energetic, it's, yeah. <laughs> it, I mean, it's kind of that, you know, statement of purpose that a sequel needs in its opening scene that tells you the audience member like, hey, we're working on a much bigger scale. Like this is, and plus it kind of sets a tone where it's like, okay, this is gruesome. This is big. This is crazy, but it's also okay to have a little bit of fun with what's happening. You know? Yes. The, unlike the first film where yes. fun, where you have to empty your fun pockets at the door. <laughs> yeah. The first one's going to make you feel kind of bad. The second one is, you know, and in that way, the first movie is almost kind of like a gritty, grungy seventies movie where, you know, you, you, it just makes you feel icky and bad. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, there, mm-hmm. there's a space for those horror movies and I dig it. I love that the second movie was much more like, okay, we're in the eighties now. We're going to have yes. fun. You can laugh. Yes. You can have yes. fun. Uh, it's so that. And we're just, we're just going to splatter the walls, you know? And it's uh, so alien to aliens, Halloween to Halloween to uh, saw to saw to, you know, yeah, totally. it really does it. Yeah. hundred percent. And, um, so stupid yeah, though i will say that opening scene i was like you know <laughs> as it started happening i'm like okay so with the saw franchise we had to kind of baby step from installment to installment to installment to make the traps bigger and bigger and bigger right <laughs> yeah, like you know yeah, to the yeah. point and and they started introducing ideas like uh and I, I gotta imagine it had to do with people questioning this on like imdb message boards back when those were a thing in the day but people like, you know, well, how did Jigsaw pull this off if he was a frail older man? And then the next movie's like, well, we'll tell you. He had an accomplice. And of it's like, course. and then you get to the third one and it's like, um, okay, but she's like a 98-pound woman. How mm-hmm. are they lifting people up in the harnesses? And how are they getting all this information on these people? And then the next movie, they're like, well, they had a really big, beefy cop helping them. You know, it's like- Classic. In the collection, you know, they go from this dude who outfitted a house, admittedly impressively, to creating, like, I don't know, an old school lawnmower that can take out a bunch of people all at once. And it's like, how did he do that by himself? Did he contract that shit out? You know, did people have to sign NDAs? Like, what, what, what went on there to create that trap? And more impressively, how did he pack a club full of people? Like, you yes. need a whole, like, that's impressive PR, like, switch industries. He hired people to stand on street corners with flyers. You yeah, know. he guerrilla marketed that shit. He, he's an impressive, impressive villain, I think. Yeah, we got to get him on social. Although, I will say the one thing about it, I, 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 I know that I wanted to get into this at one point. I don't know if now is the time to do it. Uh, maybe you know what I'm gonna hang on to something until we start talking about the third film. Ferret, I I trust your impulses at this point, Jenks. So I'm excited to get to it when you are ready. Good deal. I have to say, as much as that opening scene is incredible, within that opening sequence is my favorite kill in the franchise, which is the the the, the cage that squishes the blonde girl. Oh, best friend goes squish. Yeah, best friend goes squish a gush. It's so gross and so funny to me. I just I laughed so hard on rewatch. It is. It's like everything eighties in that again, where it's like it's a big effect. It's gooey. It's kind it's of so funny gooey, in its yeah. own way, but still, there's that. 
it would have been fun in its own right, just seeing people squish. Like we sound so morbid, but it's true. It's why we're here. We're honest. Um, it would have been fun in that regard, but I love that Dunson and Melton still keep it grounded and still keep that that connection to the first movie with that little kind of mean spirited streak by having her friend right yeah, next to her watch her die. It's brutal. You're having fun. You're having fun. You're having fun. And then you realize you're watching somebody watch their best friend die. And it's like, oh, I'm a bad person for laughing. Oh, yeah. I mean, this this movie is a bad person. And I and that's part of why I I like (laughs) if you I'm sorry to do this to you because it's torture, but you're so good at it. Gun to your head again. What's the log line for the collection? Um, Oh, God, this one is a little more difficult Um, (laughs) because it's so absurd. A uh, a kidnapped woman's wealthy father hires a survivor of a serial killer to lead a team of mercenaries into the hotel from hell to rescue her. Something like that. I don't. Not bad, actually. Pretty good. I need it made more sense shopping. than the actual movie. <laughs> I did, you know I dig the setup. I like the idea of again having the connection to the original movie, like the survivor who you know didn't really make it out, but kind of did. You know. Having him mm-hmm. be the uh, the hero who's let in, but the guy really doesn't want to go back. And then having the kidnapped girl who has the tragic backstory, you know, and having uh, I love Lee Turgeson as uh, I forget his name. It's was it Lucello, something like that. Um, yeah, I think you got it right, to be honest. Who you know he is so yeah. I love that guy from Oz, the HBO series back in the day. But having him play kind of a badass, uh, you know, Merc leader in it, I think was just kind of a stroke of genius beyond him. I don't know that I really cared that much for the team. You know, they were, the personalities weren't as well drawn. There weren't really any Vasquez's in there, you know? No, Uh, they were not necessary. He could have just gone in alone. You know, it was, they were cannon fodder, which is fine, but yeah, you know, if you're going to have cannon fodder, at least give me, uh, a Vasquez, or give me a Bill Paxton. Uh, you know, give me a give me a Michael. Where was B. Ray Weiss though? I feel like that should have been the dad. Oh, totally, totally. Like I love Christopher McDonald, I really do. But you're right, Christopher McDonald was playing the Ray Weiss role. Absolutely. But yeah, yeah, no, I I, I really do love the second film. I think it's just an absolute blast. Um, and unlike the first movie, I will say the second one, in addition to having a larger scope, like it is beginning to end a beautiful looking movie. Mm-hmm. It's very well made. You can tell these guys really care. And also they had $10 million this time around. Yeah. Yeah. Which is funny because it's kind of interesting to me when the first movie came out, I didn't think it was that big of a success. But apparently somebody thought that they had a franchise on their hands because they went ahead and bumped up the budget and they went theatrical again yes and it kind of gave me purge energy where maybe the first movie didn't hit the zeitgeist exactly the way that a franchise is expected to but it the concept really does lend itself to a series yeah and it's like you know they just kept pumping them out until finally people were like fine fuck it we're on board we'll we'll take this ride i kind of wish the same thing had happened with the collector where me too they're like, okay, you you bastards didn't show up that much for the first or second one. How about the third one? Yeah. How about the fourth one? We're going to take it to the Wild West. Where was Jason Blum? That's my question. Oh, he totally. needed to help. It, Blum, if this had been a Blum... Well, that's the thing. It's 2009. Like, he 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 had an $11,000 movie to get in the theaters in a really ingenious way. Like, I think <sighs> even producing... 
the collector movies at this point. It's funny to think now, but I think that was kind of beyond him yep. at this point. Um, but, you know, I, I wish somebody had taken the reins. Like, obviously, Dimension was out of the picture. Lionsgate didn't give a rat's ass about horror at this point. Um, you know, so who else was there? You know, Paramount was cleaning up or started to clean up, you know, by the time uh, the collection rolled around with the paranormal movies. Where was Platinum but, Dunes? Platinum Dunes, I think, at this point, were probably still licking their wounds from the reception of the Nightmare on Elm Street remake. Uh, well, that's on them. Well, and I think they probably still are. Um, <laughs> kind of. And it's still on them. Yeah. It, they should have, you know... It, it is a shame that I remember Platinum Dunes caught such hell for their model, which was, hey, let's remake a bunch of horror classics. And everyone kind of got the knives out for them. And then they started doing some really good stuff. Their Texas Chainsaw remake is great. Now, this is a oh, little yeah. more of a hot take, but I actually think their Texas Chainsaw prequel is surprisingly strong. Um, okay. <laughs> the, I'll say this unabashedly, their Amityville horror remake, I prefer to the original. Oh. It's so scary and good. Yep. I mean, that's just a fact. That's an inarguable. So, I mean, that's their first few years. And then then they did the Hitcher and it's like, oh, guys, come on. No. I mean, it was well cast. No, I believe I'll, I'll take that. I need I need to give it another shot. Uh, no, 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 not on my, not on my word. Well, uh, Trace Thurman, uh, I remember. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I think he and I were chatting on Twitter, and he mentioned that he actually liked it quite a bit. And I was like, you know, I, I've only seen the movie once. I'll give it another shot at some point. Now, I will say, their Friday the Thirteenth, I thought was an absolute blast. Uh, of it's course, everything I kind of wanted out of a Friday the Thirteenth movie at that point, even not being that big of a fan. Um, and then, you know, so up until that point, their track record was not that bad. So I was hoping that their Nightmare on Elm Street was going to wind up being something really fantastic. It was so bad, it kind of ended their entire model. Even after, and it did well. That's the thing, is that movie kind of, it cleaned up. And on top of that, their Friday the 13th remake cleaned up. It did boffo business. So, boffo. The crazy thing is... It didn't the, break 100 here, though. No, is no. Is that crazy? But, but I mean, it was also relatively... Relatively cheap. cheap. Oh, yeah, you're so, so right. It was. So they made... You know, they could have they could have done the Paramount model back in the 80s and probably churned out one a year if the uh, if the rights hadn't gone wonky, which is a bit of a shame. Yeah. yeah, it just... It amazes me that... <laughs> it amazes me that... It wasn't the box office reception. It was literally the critical and fan reception to A Nightmare on Elm Street seemed to end them yeah. in that regard. And then they went on to, you know, start doing Purge movies, which, hey, you know what? More power. But, um... Oh, they did. Yeah, I kind of wish they would go back. I, I wish they would give it another shot. I wish they would find... You know, there was, for the longest time, Platinum Dunes uh, was going to remake The Birds and go back to the original... Uh, short story and maybe have uh was it naomi cool. watts in the lead i would have watched I that s- i saw the creepy duck mock-up poster for that and it broke my heart a little bit yeah you exactly creepy duck is he's so good i love his oh posters. my god what a gift to twitter <laughs> yeah he's amazing uh i really wish he would start getting like actual work like but yeah how the hell has he not worked with the with like Bloomhouse Blumhouse yet? So, I, he he's crazy. right there and what's crazy is he keeps making these gifts of all these amazing posters and tweeting them to the filmmakers and they're fawning over them and it's like 
somebody yep. get the man work like put him yep. in in contact with like you know a pr department or something i don't know but oh yeah i mean bloody and dread are hella aware of him yeah too. i mean you know one day one day someday you know mm-hmm. but yeah but no overall like i think the collection is a really damn good movie i think it has a superb uh final act i, well, I, I wanted mean, to ask about that I, I wanted to get your take on the ending could you could you spoil the ending for us and and give us your little your 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 take on it so okay with the setup uh arkin who survived the original movie but at you know kind of at the mercy of the collector who would uh put him in a trunk uh he was taken to the club that was uh decimated at the very beginning of the movie he was let out, and uh, Emma Fitzpatrick's character, whose name escapes me right now for whatever reason, uh, I need to look that up, uh, but she is kind of captured in his place. Arkin is then hired, ostensibly, by her wealthy father to lead a team of mercenaries to the hotel that he had been kept at. Uh, once there, they kind of force him inside, and he is meant to lead them through the various traps and whatnot so they can save the daughter. Now, over the course of the movie... Uh, the mercenaries are picked off one by one. At the end, it's down to Arkin. Um, I'm going to look up her name real quick because I hate calling her by... Uh... Yeah, I just... I literally just watched the movie and I, I know, could I'd not help. Here. I could not help you. Um, his... Uh, Elena. Uh, okay. So, um, it's down to Arkin, Elena the daughter, and Lucello, her sort of uh, caretaker, as it were. Trying to make it out of this massive booby-trapped hotel, Lucello is uh, is killed pretty brutally. Uh, Arkin and the Collector get into a battle. Arkin, at this point, has an arm that's broken. He broke it himself to get them out of a trap, which was grisly Gross. as hell. Uh, I will say Arkin, even though, you know, Josh Stewart is not the most physically intimidating-looking dude. You know, he he he's a little more diminutive than your typical action hero. I think it also makes him more interesting, and I think he's a great actor. But there is this amazing sequence where he and the collector, who in the second film is a much larger man, and that that, that goes <laughs> into he? something I will uh you know, I'd love to talk about a bit here in a moment. But um, you know, Arkin and the Collector get into this battle, and there's this incredible moment where Arkin actually starts getting the upper hand, even with his broken arm, and he's beating the living hell out of the collector. He knocks him down at one point in this flaming room that's, you know, there it's starting to blaze. The hotel yeah, is of coming corpses. down. <laughs> yeah. yeah, corpses everywhere. You know, the hotel is on fire. It's coming down around them. And uh Arkin screams at him when he's on the ground, don't die yet. Which is maybe one of the most badass things I've ever heard any horror movie say. Yeah, we oh, almost kind of missed that. I love that. Almost telling, you know, the 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 villain, I'm not finished with you yet. Like not yet. You don't get the. Oh yeah, not almost. Now. Hella, uh, for <laughs> sure. Or, yeah. Um, and then Arkin sends him down an elevator shaft. He lights him on fire. Uh, then, in this really powerful sequence that is scored like a Nine Inch Nails song. Arkin gets trapped in the middle of the room that basically should lead him to safety. Um, the doors are barred. Elena is on the other side trying to get out of the doors. Cops have arrived and are trying to cut into the building and they're failing. And then there's this massive flaming beam that falls down between Arkin and Elena. And he's basically trapped and he's going to burn to death. And he collapses to his knees. And you have these two characters who they had been in the situation before where at the very beginning she was about to get kidnapped. Arkin had the opportunity to save her, but because again, he was, he was probably PTSD stricken. He was probably terrified. He was knew he was no match for, 
anybody at that point. He neglects to save her and he runs away. At the end of the movie, the roles are reversed. He's on his knees. He's about to catch a light, basically. And Elena has the opportunity to escape. And instead, she picks up like this piping hot metal bar that's collapsed, you know, singeing her hands. And she proceeds to break open these massive, what would you call them? Like, show, like, like, they're kind of like half um, glass case yeah. cases, but also like kind of those jars that have baby heads in them. Yeah, totally. Like, you know, yeah, like almost like aquariums, but like to preserve the dead bodies that the collector has stitched together, making yeah. forms and what. It's very weird. But anyway, she ends, it's this big operatic, like slow motion sequence set to a Nine Inch Nails song where she's stalking through the room holding this iron bar that's, I'm sure, sizzling the hell out of her hands. And she's breaking all these aquariums to loose the water that's going to put out the fire and save Arkin. And she makes her way to him. She grabs hold of him. She leads him to safety. The cops get to them and all as well. Except there is this tiny little horror movie grace note that, you know, anybody should expect out of a movie that might possibly continue being a franchise where you see the killer's smoking mask on the outside of the building. Arkin sees it and realizes the collector isn't dead. Now, that would have been enough to end the movie, I think. But they have this amazing little epilogue where this big beefy dude comes back home to what a very, what would you say, like very upper middle class home. You know, oh, yeah. he, he's checking his mail. We never see his face. He's wearing what? Like a jean jacket and boots, something like that. Yeah, very sad. Yeah, and he's kind of like just making his way through his house and he turns the radio on to a... Uh, oh, what is it, like a a newscast or something like that? And he's kind of like just heading upstairs and then the station changes to like a heavy metal song. And he freezes, turns around, comes downstairs. And I love that he all of a sudden is the, uh, he's the victim to be. He's the guy who is being stalked and, you know, being toyed with. He pulls a blade, walks around and gets a gun to the back of his head. And Arkin, the hero, tells him basically, he's telling him, but he's also telling us, the audience, that he managed to find him in a 200-mile square radius from where they last seen one another by checking, um, was it people with entomology degrees? Mm -hmm. Something like that? Yep. And this guy was number 12. And, you know, he had delved a little into his origin, found out that his dad had run a museum, that he had screwed him up, so on and so forth. And he basically tells this guy, who we know to be the collector now, that he is going to uh, torture him and then eventually kill him. And when the collector tries to uh, to fight back, Arkin kicks his ass into a trunk and slams it shut, which is this perfect sort of uh, uh, kind of a counterpoint or this great companion piece to the end of the first movie, which had you know, again, the roles reversed with the collector uh-huh. shutting Arkin in a trunk. Yeah. And then it cuts to black. And I believe in one of the deleted scenes didn't actually make it into the movie. But if you look on the DVD and Blu-ray for the collection, there is a sequence where I believe Arkin loads up the trunk into a van or a truck, something like that. And Elena is driving and you get the idea yes. that they're both going to, uh, you know, they're both going to torture the hell out of the collector and then, uh, you know, off into their, uh, you know, the, the, the next act they go. And uh, again, it, it makes you really want that third film. But again, I will yes. say this. And maybe I'm jumping the gun, but if we don't get a third film, ultimately, I, I hope that we do. But if we don't, I do feel like the second movie's ending is satisfying enough to be the end of the franchise if it has to be. Oh, yeah. 
I, I'm grateful to have that second movie because that could have easily not happened. Yeah. So I'm not angry. Well, I mean, it would be nice to have the third. And hella God is it set up for one. <laughs> and we got the perfect title all lined up. But I am, yeah, I, I'm grateful for that second film. Now, I will say this. Okay, maybe I can jump into my theory now. Because, okay. uh, you know, when you get to the end of the second movie, you wonder, like, okay, outside of something dull happening, like, okay, Arkin and Elena have the collector, but then he escapes, and then we start over all, you know, we start over again, you know, which would be really, again, kind of dull. It would be a little, a bit of a shame, I think, if that's uh, how they chose to continue on. I was thinking like, okay, how could you continue? How, 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 if you have your villain trapped at the very beginning of the next movie, how are you going to continue the story of the collection, you know, or the collector and have Arkin and Elena be the leads and put them in peril again? And I think the answer is in the first two movies. Now you'll have to forgive me. I'm going to be calling back to my mid to late nineties horror movie <laughs> message board days. When when the Scream movies were coming out, one of the uh, prevailing theories about all the sequels uh, for Scream is that we would inevitably, eventually, get a big reveal that all along, there has been a third killer from the first movie who has been orchestrating all of the events all along. Now, I always thought it would wind up being Randy that he faked his death, much like uh, Billy faked his death, and it made all the sense in the world for him to... uh, you know, be the mastermind. Didn't turn out that way. And I'm kind of glad that it wasn't, but I mean, I don't hate it. Even though they didn't quite do the thing that I think everybody was expecting, you know, which was flashing back to the events of the first movie and having a, a, a third killer, like in a ghost face costume. I think when you have Roman Bridger in the third movie saying that he's the one who enlisted Billy and Stu in the first place, it's kind of like, okay, all right. That's, that's pretty close to having a third killer the entire time. So fine. With the collector in the collection, okay, so in the first movie, the guy who plays the collector, his name is Juan Fernandez. You actually see him um, as one of the team that's like the, um, oh, what are they? They're like the Orkin guys spraying the house, essentially, right? Dealing with uh, yeah. pest, pest control, basically. Yeah. And he is one of those guys. He has a, He's probably in his late 40s, early 50s at that point. He had a shaved head. He's not super imposing. In fact, I mean, the scariest thing about him is the fact that he's a killer. He's got a mask. He's got knives. He's got all of these traps. But when he and Arkin fight in the last half of the movie, I mean, they both look essentially to be the same size, right? And the biggest thing is, again, when he has the mask on, he has like a cleanly shaven head. And weirdly enough, shiny eyes. I don't know what the deal with that is. I'd love to know more. So many questions about those eyes. Yeah, yeah. When you get to the second movie, uh, the guy who plays the collector, which again, the second movie only takes place like what? A few months after the first one, maybe six months total. Right. How long can he be in the box for? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So it's not that long after in that the collector is this super tall, barrel chested, muscular dude with a full head of long hair. Uh, oh, yeah, he does have hair. Who is, like, physically, other than the fact that he's wearing dark clothing and that mask, he couldn't be any more different from the killer in the first movie, which makes me think that there is more than one collector, which would explain 
how in the hell the collector who gets collected at the end of the collection <sighs> is going to be freed at some point. Yeah. Without making the protagonists evil a la Saw, which would not make sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so that's my theory. I think, uh, I think that it makes sense. I, I would hope that would be the case. And I hope that we find out one way or another someday. Then I, yeah. Did you use the term collective earlier? Uh, no, no, but I'm down for, um, although that would, that would be kind of perfect. Uh, wouldn't that be a good name for it? Yeah. I'd be fine with, you know, if they want to do a fourth entry, you know, the collectors, why not? Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's a classic. <laughs> um, are you the one that told me the, the story about how, uh, James Cameron <laughs> had the word alien on a blackboard and then added an S and put a put like the the money sign through it and that was his pitch for aliens no but i absolutely love that that's amazing isn't that genius i i i don't think it's real but it's a definite like hollywood uh urban legend yeah that's that's the legend that you want to print like that that is yeah yeah oh absolutely it is also just so james cameron too oh totally totally i he he probably pointed to that word right after and said game changer so (laughs) and he would have been right yeah and then he was like, I'm going to make the next four Alien movies, too, over the course of the next 27 years. And they were like, Jim, no. <laughs> Go make Avatar. It'll take you that long. I, um, I literally were get. It's amazing to me that he did Titanic in 97. And then the only thing we got from him after that is a bunch of Avatar stuff. Like, dude. Right. One, technically, at this point. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Are we ever going to get those sequels? Are they actually happening? Who knows? Maybe they'll wind up being Phantom Limbs later on. Who knows? Oh my goodness. We have to branch out into different genres. <laughs> I kind of did that. I did that a few weeks ago with Barbarella. Uh, I remember asking John yes. up the disgusting. I was like, does it Did you bury more? No, no, no. The, um, Oh, Blubberella. Sorry. It, uh, Barbarella. No, the, oh, Barbarella. Uh, mm-hmm. okay. yeah, I did one on, um, it's funny. A friend of mine actually, um, he had developed a pilot for, um, uh, streaming service. I can't say which one. Um, but yeah, it was going to be this huge thing. And um, I, I, yeah. Uh, so he had told me about it back in the day and it ultimately never happened. So I was like, Hey, would you want to talk about this? You know, for my column series, like I know this Hell is yeah. sci-fi, but there still would have been creatures and aliens and cool stuff. And I think it's genre friendly enough that people would dig it. And he was like, yeah, oh, sure. It totally so- is. I read that John August had a Barbarella reboot with, with Drew Barrymore that never made it. Oh, there were so many. Like, there was going to be... Uh, oh. Nicholas Winding Refn was going to do it at one point. Um, okay. Robert Rodriguez was going to do it with Rose McGowan. Uh, oh, cool. Yeah, Purvis and Wade, the guys who wrote, like, uh, Casino Royale, and I think all of the Bond movies after that, they had pinned a couple of versions. Like, there have been so many takes on a Barbarella follow-up that just, for whatever reason, never went. And I gotta say, like, beyond the fact that the guy is my friend, like... His take on the story was fucking fantastic, and I really wish that it actually happened. But, uh, you know, it, it, it's just weird to me that all of these takes continually get developed and they never get made. And it's like all of this money gets thrown away yeah, in, in search crazy. of, you know, who knows what. So. It's like a restaurant at the end of the day and they're just like tossing away good food. And you're like, How? Yeah, so- <laughs> it's unethical. Agreed. That's how I feel. You know, at least give it to I- Kristen. Was her name Shaw? That's who I would cast. Who is that now? Um, from the from Bob's Burgers and Flight of the Concords. I don't know. Uh, I'm so sorry. Krista Shaw. She's a comedian. She's cute. Yeah, fair enough. Um, 
All right, so we've made it finally to the collected. Uh, I have my my um, little outline here, but I'm wondering, because I feel like, are you familiar with the timeline of what went down with the collected personally? Vaguely, yes. Ah, okay. So I'll walk us through it. Then we'll go through it together. So in May 2009, uh, Marcus Dunstan and Patrick Melton announced that they had written a script and that Dunstan was definitely on board to direct. And they shared this little quote. The Collected is going to triple down on grit and suspense that was in the first Collector. And uh, filming was going to happen in fall of 2019. The As, as you mentioned, Josh Stewart and Emma uh, Fitzpatrick were going to reprise their roles. Um, and I believe it was the same producers that were coming on board. Uh, you jumped ahead to September of 2019 and horror legend Tom Atkins of Halloween fame. And of course my bloody Valentine was also in talks to star. And I believe it was going to be as the father to uh, what's his name? Josh Stewart. Oh, wow. which I think is such good casting. Um, in September of that same year, we got a photo on set of the, of the filmmakers and, uh, yeah, and then Bloody Disgusting did exclusively report that Tom Atkins had joined. Um, June continued. We saw more more photos. And then nothing until, I believe, was it April 2021, when the filmmakers were on the podcast, The Thing with Two Heads, and they announced that after one week of filming, uh, the producers basically ghosted on them, and the production shut down and that due to unquote creative disinterest they were unsure of uh, the collected's future which is just so brutal and kind of encapsulates hollywood in so many ways usually this happens to filmmakers before eight days of production i don't i can't even imagine what they went through being shut out like literally in the middle probably of production because how long does this this is probably like a month or two of production is my guess so eight days is a lot yeah i mean you know with some lower budgeted movies i mean that could be a quarter of the shooting schedule that could be a third you know that could be it all (laughs) yeah exactly uh well hopefully not in this case (laughs) yeah yeah but yeah no i mean i mean it's like what did they shoot are we ever going to get to see that footage what exactly is going to happen who knows um it just it makes me kind of sad and also like one i want to know what that backstory is i want to know what's going on with those producers i want to know um and i believe you had made a note of this too but i remember uh i think it was either dunstan or melton who had noted that you know a lot of their props had been stolen that they had brought and it's like well are those props from like the previous movies that are now gone forever i bet you they are is that you know will if they do go back to shooting is that going to raise the budget even further because they then have to reproduce them like what is what does that mean you know yeah Uh, see that's what happens when you film in canada we are wily and we're going to steal your stuff if you leave it behind, <laughs> which is where they were. I think the first film was shot somewhere in the States. I, I want to say Louisiana or something like that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know where the second one was shot, but they definitely took the third to Vancouver. And that's where it died. Yeah. Is... It's, uh, it bums me out. And, you know, that's the thing. Like, what is the right situation there? Like, 
do the producers, do they have the option of just sitting on the project and not allowing it to continue on? Or mm-hmm. can Dunson and Melton shop it elsewhere and then hopefully have a, an angel investor or producer swoop in and save it? Or how, how the hell does that work? You know, I know a lot of fans because I've been getting a lot of feedback ever since I started promoting this episode. A lot of people really believe that this one's still happening to the point where I like, I really dug into these filmmakers, Twitters and Instagrams just to make sure there was nothing I wasn't missing. And unfortunately it doesn't seem like there is anything further. It seems like according to these two, the last word they had on this was on that podcast, the thing with two heads. And they basically went in and gave the, the meat on why it wasn't happening. So fans want this one a lot. Like, it's a smaller production compared to other things that I've covered. And this is one of the more vocal audiences I've ever seen, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, and, you know, again, it goes to the ending of the second movie where it's like, again, if we don't get any more than that, then the second one provides a pretty satisfying ending. But, you know, if they had never said another word about a third film beyond that, I could have accepted that. But you can't dangle no, the, the idea that they shot for a full week you can't dangle production mm-hmm. photos in front of me and then posters i think me. too oh re- oh my god you can't do that and then yeah. not deliver and it's not the filmmaker's fault uh or faults rather it's what like, we know it's not well hopefully not anyway but, but but damn it like we i went from being fine you didn't you didn't have to say a thing i would have been okay but now yeah. now i need it you know yeah, you don't take away my toy. How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> truly, truly. I yeah, and it's such a such a fan classic, which I like because of its origins, because of knowing where you know it, it has been an underdog in the in the horror community since day one, and it's and it seems to be going out on that same. Mm, wavelength too like this is this is the series that was always kind of on the bubble and i i love that for it you know let's let's go ahead and do it let's kick start the funding for the final two or three weeks of production yeah let's do it let's let the fans save it you know um it's gonna be a dark castle and <laughs> hammer horror co-pro yes and we're gonna get it off the ground i'd be fine with that you know because uh I, I just feel like we need it. And you're right. Like it, considering its origins, you know, no matter how exactly it came about, you know, it's always going to kind of have that tie to the Saw franchise. Like this is kind of like, this is like the 50 shades of gray of Saw, you know, it's that kind of weird. that exact same. I almost had that in the outline and I thought that's, I don't need that. That's, I, and I took it out. I had collector, the exact same thought. The collector I had the, is totally 50 shades of Saw. You know, I should use that in in social because that's so funny. <laughs> no, it totally is. It's kind of like the fanfic of Saw that became its own thing, and I love it. And also, Tom At- Tom Atkins being in the third. What do you think of that as 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 the the ass kicking father of um, Arkin? I mean, the more Atkins, the better. You can only yeah. make a movie better with him. So um... he's got to be. How old is he now? He was old in Halloween. Th- Three. He, according to uh, Todd Farmer, I uh, I spoke to Todd Farmer and Patrick Lucia for Phantom Limbs about their Dark Castle production that sadly never yes, was. Uh, it was yes. going to be a remake of uh, 
Castles, I Saw What You Did, and uh, it's great. Atkins was apparently going to play kind of their Max von Sydow from Three Days of the Condor role as cool. an aging assassin in that movie. But I, I think Farmer joked at one point, he's like, even if we did it now, I don't know. Atkins is 112 years old. Um, I So who yeah. knows? But, but no. Has I, he been in anything lately? I is it like, where is he in Halloween Kills? Exactly. Where the hell is he? Give him a cameo as Dr. Chalice in the Haddonfield Memorial, you know? I love that. Something, well, something they, they, you know, if they're going to pull out the stops with all the fan service and the, the Halloween three masks, then, you know, Kyle Richards, Kyle no, Richards, That's gay fan service. like, come on, you know, damn it. Give us, give us some Atkins. I still love that her, like, where's the Kyle Richards documentary from Lindsay to housewives. This is a trajectory I'm interested I'll in. T- well, I mean, from Lindsay to housewives and then back to Lindsay, like that's, that's and back to Lindsay. And those two sisters, uh, Kyle and uh, Jen, maybe Richards, were boasted a ton of stuff in the in the seventies and eighties, especially her sister. Yeah, it's funny. I didn't even realize that back in the day until I went to a Halloween convention. It was one that Jamie Lee Curtis did. The one convention she did for like Horror Hound in Indianapolis back in uh, two thousand. Was that the one where the fan was there and he was like, "I survived a break and enter." Maybe I, I don't mind. know. Um, but yeah, all I know is that like they they got Jamie Lee Curtis and then they built a Halloween convention around her. And I remember uh, I had this great Mondo print of Halloween that I got like everybody to sign. But I remember having a conversation with somebody that were like, ah, it'd be great if you got Kyle Richards' um, signature on there. And I was like, yeah, it would be. And they were like, but you never will. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> and then they explained like, it's like, yeah, she's never doing horror conventions. She doesn't need to make the horror convention no, rounds. she's you so know. rich. <laughs> So, which is she's fun. related to Paris Hilton, I think. You know, they should do a convention together. I listen. They could do it half for Halloween, half for House of Wax. Hundred percent. It would be. It would be beautiful. I, a little bit for Pledge This. <laughs> I I would be fine with all of that because House of Wax is also deeply underrated. Although you oh, know, we say oh, that yeah. now. I think House of Wax has gone the route of Halloween Three, where whenever somebody brings up House of Wax everybody comes to its defense, but then you start to realize it's like, well, wait, if literally everybody is defending this, then I don't think this movie is underrated anymore. No, no, it's certainly not. It was underrated definitely in in its heyday. I saw it recently. I have to say, I love it. Although is it good? No. Is Eliza Cuthbert in it? Terrible. I'm sorry. Yes. (gasps) She's so bad. Blasphemy on all counts. I'm sorry. She's very good in happy endings. I, I love her. And as a Canadian, popular mechanics for kids, any Canadians out there will know what I'm talking about. When she was like a kid, she was on this like famous Canadian like kids science show called Popular Mechanics. She was in a movie with, I'm going to forget the title of it, but she was actually fantastic in it. Um, oh, damn it. Uh, I think it was called uh, He Was a Quiet Man with um, um, Son of a Bitch, uh, Christian Slater. And it was a direct-to-video movie, but it was a fantastic direct-to-video movie uh, where they both played kind of survivors of a, uh, a workplace shooting. And I'm she, looking at it right now. She was a quadriplegic, and what's crazy is, is that he had actually been planning a shooting himself before somebody stalked into the workplace and shot it up. So he was a guy who was harboring... Um, 
twist. You know, kind of like these violent tendencies. And then it happens, you know, somebody else perpetrates it first. And then he winds up kind of finding solace in this other victim, you know, because they share that weird kind of survivor's guilt. And it's really powerful movie and just great performances uh, from both of them. So if you get the chance to check it out, definitely worth it. I will. I love a 2007 moment. So I'm going to have to look at this. I love this forgotten little drama. (laughs) Cool. And William H. Macy. That's interesting. Oh, yes. Yeah. Not in it much, I don't recall, but he's great as well. Too busy scamming the university system. Oh, yeah. So I don't know. I we, have to go we, there. we don't know that he had anything to do with that. We'd I'd, like to think he didn't. I'd like to think he was oblivious. It's kind of hard to believe, but you never know. Yeah. He, yeah, <laughs> it is. <laughs> He's a cutie, though. Um, so we're, is there anything that we're missing? I'm looking at these quotes from them. I hate reading quotes on podcasts. But I'm just going to skim through. Um, yeah, I'm just going to read one of the final items Marcus Dunstan had to say about why this film didn't happen. So he said, we actually stopped shooting in 2019. That was two years ago. And we only shot eight days. There was very little shot. Anything that's been released has um, been pulled from that time period. And there's no plans to start shooting it. We haven't talked to anyone who was in the production, but we'd like to finish it. But I don't know. We're not the producers, so we don't know. Which leads us to our overall conclusions. Jinx, is this movie going to happen? So, here's my complicated answer. Um, I don't know mm. that it's going to happen at this point, and that kind of makes me sad, but I will say this. I think if it does happen, I don't think we're going to see anything out of that initial eight days. I, I imagine that they will start from scratch. Um, it have to, I think, at this point. Which kind of bums me out because then, totally. you know, whoever decides to come back, like, do they then inherit the debt of that first eight days of production? You know, does that going to add onto the budget on top of, like, replacing all the stuff that was stolen from them? Is that going to make the budget on this you know, movie balloon to the point where it's no longer tenable to make it in the first place. Who knows? Like, or uh, is it going to be an, a Hulu original series? Let's do that. Why not? I would, I would Why watch not? that, you know? Um, so no, I, I want to stay optimistic and say, Hey, if it was ever going to be made in the first place, like that's a good thing. And that tells me that people want it to be made that people are willing for it to be made and that there is a belief that there's an audience out there to watch it when it is made. Um, but golly, they're probably going to have to clear a couple of hurdles now to get it to happen. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's probably just worth their while to move on to like a different property, which I think I saw, I wish I had jotted it down, but they re- recently announced a new project. The two of them, I think it might have been like a teen horror movie. Does it sound familiar to you? No, no, no. And I will say, you know, if it sounded like I was a little bit hard on them before, uh, you know, I was only trying to be fair and be honest because, again, Mm -hmm. I do like a lot of their stuff, but some I didn't. But I will say, you know, even the stuff of theirs that I didn't like, you know, I would like to give them the benefit of the doubt and say that, like, okay, even though I don't necessarily like the Feast sequels, those were also made for Bob Weinstein and Dimension. So who knows what yeah. hardships they had to put up with there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Same thing with the Saw films. Like those movies were being rushed into production. That was like a conveyor belt. Uh, and then they had planned a big conclusion that was apparently going to encompass a parts seven and eight together. 
And then, oh. you know, after six came out and kind of underperformed, even though it was one of the best ones in the series, they uh-huh. had to uh, condense seven and eight down into one movie. So I don't even oh, know that I, I didn't blame, know that. Yeah. You know, so I, I don't know that I blame them seven's failures entirely on them if on them at all so overall i would say that i actually really like dunstan and melton stuff and me too you know uh, and again when it comes to the collector franchise i i really dig it and fingers crossed we do get more it's possible it's possible i'm i'm on the fence of if it happens is it either has to happen soon or probably quite a while from now yeah, we're already like five years beyond the point that we should have gotten the third one. You know, if they were releasing yeah. them every, you know, it was 2009, 2012, we probably should have gotten a third one in 2015, maybe 16 at the latest. Now <laughs> yeah. it's like, ugh, we're post-Trump. <laughs> yeah, it's too late. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> maybe, you know, they have an opportunity now to rewrite the script to account for, uh, you know, post-Trump America and uh, the pandemic and, you know, COVID. Wow, there's there's a lot for them to work with. So there's no excuse other than it sounds like they really got fucked over, which is brutal. I really feel for them. Yeah, yeah, me too. And hopefully, you know, I want this story to have a happy ending. I really do. So I hope they get to make their movie. I just have no idea what that's going to look like if they do. Yeah. And I want Arkin to be able to torture the collector. It's only fair. It is. You know, he does have that line at the end of the second movie where he talks about how he's going to torture him and then kill him. And it's like, well, he never <laughs> said how long he was going to torture him. And that's uh, true. It could have been 10 years. And then we're, you know, we're still on that schedule. That's the thing. Like we're, if they do a third one, I have no idea what the script for the third one looks like like obviously with the second movie it takes place not that long after the first i would hope they would account for the amount of time that's passed in between two and what will wind up being the third one because mm-hmm. uh, you know all the actors are going to be a decade older at this point like they need to they need to account for that they need to uh yeah. to Josh know- stewart's gonna look so tired yeah yeah and <laughs> you know he's an interesting cat too like uh that's a guy who I, 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 he's a really interesting actor and he's always putting in great work no matter where he's popping up. You know, he's the uh-huh. lead in, you know, smaller movies, but don't, then he's popping up in some meaty roles and like much larger films. I remember the same year that he did. Um, I think it was the same year he did the collection. He also popped up as like Bane's right hand man in, uh, yeah. you know, the dark, dark Knight, Knight rises. rises. So he yeah. showed up, uh, he led a web series that was an offshoot of, um, the walking dead that seemed to set up the idea that I could have saw that. And he's wearing like Rick's clothes, you know, like what better he way has to Rick set... energy for sure. Oh, totally. He totally could have played Rick in that series. Um, yes, but you know, it seemed to set up the idea that he could have led, you know, uh, um, uh, maybe a side project on the walking dead series, you know, which would have been yeah. awesome. So when they were still giving those out. Yeah. So I don't know, you know, I, I, I want to see the collected, because I want the series to have a definitive conclusion, but also, damn it, just give Josh Stewart more work. Yeah, yeah, he hasn't he hasn't totally broken through yet, which is a shame because he's been. You're right, doing good work for so long. He popped up in a. I think he had a pretty decent role as um, oh, what was it like a villainous father in the last Insidious movie that I thought was quite good. The part four. Oh yes, he was in the last key. He was mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah, I, I'd like to see more of all these people. And 
I still think there should be a fifth or a fourth or a TV show called The Collective because it's so fun to say. You know, that's what they need to do. They need to sell it to Netflix by way of like, look, fund the third movie and then use that as kind of the backdoor pilot for the, uh, the you know, the TV yeah, series. Yeah, get Kevin Williamson in, you know, when he did the following kind of vibes. Oh, maybe, yeah. Maybe not, maybe not, maybe, oh, maybe not that. You know what? What's, <laughs> what's weird? I love Kevin Williamson. I adore, I adore Kevin Williamson, but I will say this about the following. Like, the following <laughs> yeah. had yeah. maybe the best pilot of any horror it did thriller pilot. I had seen in ages. I would put it up there in like maybe top 10 as far as pilots for that sort of thing ever because damn it, that that was a feature film condensed into 60 minutes and it knocked it out of the fucking park. It was Scream 3. The yeah, exactly. Know, yeah, yeah. Did you know about this? The yeah. Stu character was uh he was he was uh, that's essentially the uh the guy that oh fuck, the actor's name. Um the guy plays oh, Happen Happen Leonard. Um I can't. I'm sorry. Oh, he's so good. He was in Solomon Kane. He was uh he was in V for Vendetta before he was fired and replaced with Hugo Weaving. Um, oh. anyway uh yeah he was he was totally that character who would have had like a cult or a faction working for him which i think is a really neat idea um but the following did this amazing thing where it got progressively dumber with every subsequent episode so that by the time you got to the end of the first season you actually were losing brain cells while you were watching it i think i remember that being the case yeah <laughs> It wasn't good. Yeah, it, it's just like one of those, like, contain yourself. There's too many things happening at once. Did you hear that he took some of his original ideas from Scream 3 and funneled it into that show? Yeah, well, that sc- I, yeah, yeah, I knew about the uh, the Stu thing, which was Stu was going to be alive, Stu was going to be behind bars, and Stu was actually going to have like ghost face groupies doing his bidding right so that's what you were alluding to with the stew stuff so yes you do know of course you know (laughs) which i love that i love that idea you know what i really want to find out though i want to find out and i actually have i've reached out to his people and got nothing back which is fine i love kevin williamson i'm sure he's very busy it's cool i would love to know what his original plan for screams four five and six were back when he and kevin Ugh. williamson were going to do a brand new trilogy before bob yes. weinstein and just strolled in and decided to retool everything um why that's the thing it's like you give wes craven and kevin williamson like they gave you rather like this 100 million dollar grossing movie you 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 bleed them for a sequel straight away and they give you scream 2 which was fucking fantastic and then from that point on, you just make it harder and harder on them to deliver yeah. great stuff for you. You know, Scream 3, uh, Cursed, Scream 4. I, I just, I don't understand what it is about the Weinsteins that made them want to fuck with every filmmaker who uh-huh. did right by them, you know? Because they're megalomaniacs. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, well, one of them was far worse than even that. But um, <laughs> Yeah, that's like the nicest thing they are, or, you know. One of them, rapey troll of a human being. Yeah, yeah, truly, truly, it's such a nightmare that every episode I've ever made, like they kind of come up because they're so ingrained in the horror community. Yeah, well, it's like there's no, there's no escape. It's well, it's really, like it's really scary. You know, with uh, a lot of the ones that I've done, you know, they they there's always some mention of them, whether or not I put it in the articles or not. Like I would be fine with never. Uh, 
you know, never talking about them again. But the sad truth of the matter is, is when you look at, uh, you know, all of the franchises that developed follow-ups and sequels and versions that ultimately never passed, it usually had something to do with Dimension because they were just throwing money around on different takes wildly and never actually following through. Yes, um, they were the ones that fucked us on Alice, those SOBs. Really, yeah, yeah. I, I could imagine, like... Could you imagine being a genre filmmaker back in the early aughts? And... <laughs> Imagine making a movie that you really want picked up and then Dimension winds up being the place that's circling it. Like, on the one hand, Ugh. you know you would get paid probably pretty well, but on the other hand, you would be like, oh, it's, fuck, anybody. It's never getting made. I, I want people to see the movie, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were the... Yeah, by the what by the end of the 90s, they were becoming a bit of a kiss of death. Yeah. 2000s for sure. And especially with, you know, and I like a lot of the Hellraiser sequels, you know, uh, some of them, well, like three of them, but uh, you know, I like Inferno. I, well, maybe two. Uh, I like Inferno. Hellworld, like honey. That's the one I like. Oof. Oof. I'm not kidding. I enjoy that movie. Oof. Yeah. By the time you reduce <laughs> Clive Barker's creation to <laughs> like a meta, a meta take on the franchise that's now a video game within the actual world, and you have, you know, you have, you have Barker's Priest of Hell, you know, lopping heads off with a meat cleaver. I'm like, guys, yeah, you have what, 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 Catherine Winnick roundhouse kicked pinhead off of a balcony or something like that it's like what the fuck are you people doing i know henry cavill's just hanging out um getting the blowjob with a white mask on i bring it up as often as i can because it's truly so absurd (laughs) yeah i I can't believe that henry cavill is in that movie like it's and 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 his people haven't scrubbed it from the face of the earth boda or whatever your name is good for you yeah what what's crazy is that boda did uh but it did Hellseeker and Deader, which I think are pretty solid entries. And then, uh, yes, yes, I know. And then he did. That. He's the one that kind of. I, I, am I wrong to think that was it Hellseeker that kind of revived it? The this the series sort of. I think it was uh, Scott Derrickson did uh, Inferno, which was their first directed video one. Yes. Uh, and I remember everyone being like, "Oh, this is actually surprisingly pretty solid." I, I think Barker hated it because it. Kind of well, I can imagine. Yeah, well, I you know it was a procedure. Like all of a sudden, it's like a cheap cop procedural. I would be mad too, but yeah, it, I like it. Yeah, like well, it reduced the the Cenobites too to like more Judeo Christian themes, which is obviously something that uh, you know Derrickson kind of treads in with you know his work. But at the same time, it's like well, at least he found something interesting within that material and he made it its own. Um, and I, I, I think the movie is kind of solid in its own right. And then you have Hellseeker, which is kind of, um, it's weird that Inferno and Hellseeker both are riffs on an occurrence in Owl Creek Bridge. Uh, so they're both kind of doing the same thing, but, um, but I still like Hellseeker because it's very well made. It's very well acted. Dean Winters, uh, you know, I was talking about Oz earlier, you know, Winters was fantastic in Oz as well. He makes her a hell of a leading man. And damn it, they brought Ashley Lawrence back. Like, that's I was awesome. just going to say, that's, that's Kirstie or Christie's research. Yeah. So, uh, and they really should have brought her back after that instead of doing Deader and Hellworld and... Uh, hey, hey, Hellworld's my baby. Revelations, oof. Oh, I know people were mad about that. But it's nice to see that they gave Gary a movie. I liked Judgment. Uh, you can yeah. tell that the budget, like, 
That man had nothing to work with, but with the nothing he had to work with, I think he made a pretty damn solid, um, oh, you know, entry. Absolutely, and he had another one on the go too, which I'm, which I'm trying to cover at some point. I forget the title. You might know. What's that? He had another one that he was going to make a simultaneous to Judgment. Do you remember the title? Oh no! Uh, do you mean a Hellraiser movie? Yeah. Yeah, um, no, it's, uh, I can't remember exactly what the title of it was going to be, which is terrible because I did an interview with him about a year ago where we talked at length about it. Let me see if I can't find it quickly. Um, hey, but yeah, no, it was going to be, a lot going on. it was going to be very cool, I think, because, uh, it was going to open the scope of it out a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, it, 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 I think what's crazy is, is that he had the idea of setting it in this small town and having the town itself be kind of like a snare for victims and what's funny is is in talking to uh peter briggs you know this past uh-huh. week he kind of had the same mm-hmm. idea too like uh independently so it's interesting that they both kind of hit upon the same idea uh and both late in the game too yeah okay so it did not have a title i don't think it was uh he only ever thought of it as uh the hellraiser judgment sequel so okay so good for me for not missing out on that piece of information it's just not there <laughs> so yeah he he would have right, so, so, so your answer oh, i know and i'm happy to see that he's still floating around the property because it, it's his really at this point he, he the man put in his time <laughs> hell yeah he did and he, yeah, and he yeah. deserved it yeah, okay, so going do- back, I, I, yeah, what was your overall thought? Like, you, you gave it to me, but I just wanted it again because I forgot. Are they going to make this third movie? You have to say yes or no. Uh, I'll be optimistic and say yes, but if they do, I think they're <laughs> going to have to start from scratch. So you've just absolutely guaranteed that it's never going to happen because if you had said no, it would have been like, <laughs> bam, announced tomorrow. Well, in that case, no, because I do want it. Oh, Interesting. Well, we're going to have to wait and see. Um, I have a bad feeling about it myself. I have a feeling we're... I was going to ask, are you are you yay soon. or nay? I'm going to say no time soon is my official stance. That's fair. That's fair. Maybe maybe one of these days. Um, okay. Thank you so much, Jinx. You're always literally so knowledgeable and fun to talk to. It's a treat. Where can we find you on the internet? So, uh, you can find my writing at Bloody Disgusting. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, it's at Jinx1981. That's J-I-N-X-1981. Uh, I'm on Instagram. You can find me there. It's J-I-N-X-740-941, which is far too many numbers. Um, I panicked when creating an account, and they told me I couldn't <laughs> just do Jinx. Uh, or or Jinx1, or Jinx1000, or Jinx2000 even. So, I eventually just used... Uh, area codes from old phone numbers so again that's j-i-n-x 740-941 i'm so sorry <laughs> i love it and you gotta check out his, all his columns but especially phantom limbs because it's unmissable in my opinion thank you very much <laughs> you're welcome All right. Well, thank you so much for listening. And we'll be back with another episode of Development Hell. Coming soon to Dread, the maid. Joy is the new maid of a royal house whose previous maid disappeared under mysterious circumstances and is now haunting and terrorizing the family. 
Joy works to uncover the reason behind the former maid's disappearance. The Maid will be made available on demand everywhere July 20, 2021, and on Blu-ray August 17, 2021.